It's Tuesday, July 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today are from Motley Fool Rule Breaker, Simon Erickson, and from Fool.com, Mark Reith. Happy Tuesday, gents. Hey, Chris. Happy to be here. Is anything better than earnings season? <laughs> Christmas? No. Earnings. <laughs> Your birthday? No. It's a, no, it's earnings. I vote earnings, too. Um, as I wrote on Twitter earlier today, this is uh, the dinner and a movie version of Market Foolery, because we've got earnings from Chipotle, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, and Netflix. Let's start with Chipotle, uh, and I will start with the master himself, Warren Buffett, who has said, Simon, the single most important decision in evaluating a business is pricing power. Because if a company can raise prices and customers don't bat an eye, that's the business that you want to look at. And we are seeing this play out in spades today, because I think I, I, I think I saw you yesterday afternoon after Chipotle had reported, and we were sort of marveling over the fact that same store sales up seventeen percent for the quarter. What? That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous, Chris. How do you do that as a restaurant? What restaurant is raising their comps seventeen percent year over year while raising prices? While raising prices at the same time. The amazing part of that, like you said, is that they actually were getting some cost inflation from some of their raw materials. Price of avocados, beef, and cheese were blamed for rising raw material costs. Chipotle uh, ad- raised the average menu item up six and a half percent. Customers didn't bat an eye. Comps are still strong. It's an amazing story. And even if you back out the price increase, that's only a couple of percentage points. And so even if they didn't have that, we're still looking at comps of you know plus fourteen percent. Yeah, the vast majority of this actually came from traffic, which is even more amazing. You get a little bit of the of that seventeen percent off of raising prices, but the vast majority, like we said, was off of more people coming through the stores. The average Chipotle restaurant rang up. Eight new customers every every day for lunch, and an additional eight new customers every day for dinner. Hmm. So you add that up on a daily basis over a year. That's a lot more transactions coming through the stores. Is there, you know, if it was a bad quarter, I always like to see if there's a silver lining in this amazing. Is is there any bad news here, Mark, or is it just all sunshine and rainbows? You know what? The sun is absolutely shining for Chipotle right now. Uh, like. Like Simon said, comps just blew it out of the water with this. They opened, I thought this was interesting, they only opened 45 new locations, uh, giving them a total of 1,681. I like that they opened so few. A lot of people might might think uh, that's a sign that the company is maturing, that they can't find new locations. I disagree. I think they choose their locations very wisely, as comps has shown us. I think 45 is the right number. Uh, probably maybe maybe a little less next uh, quarter, but I think Chipotle is growing at just the right amount it needs to right now. And Bill Mann was on the radio show recently. He made the point about Chipotle that you look at their uh, restaurant per capita in Colorado, where the company is headquartered. I think the number he said was it's about one restaurant per every forty thousand people. Mm-hmm. In California, it's one for every six hundred thousand people. Wow! So. For anyone who's looking at the store count and thinking, well, wait, where's the growth going to come? It seems like they have enormous room to run. As a shareholder, I do sort of chafe a little bit at how methodical they are. Slow and steady. (laughs) It wins the race, Chris. Uh, It really does, certainly today. Uh, On the flip side, McDonald's. Second quarter profit down 1%. Their global comps were flat. Their U.S. comps down about 1.5%. 
market's the world's largest restaurant company. So growth, I mean, anyone who's looking at McDonald's, the stock, and thinking they're going to get anything in the way of growth, hmm. they're thinking incorrectly. That's the, that's the wrong set of expectations to have coming into this. But it does seem like McDonald's has some pretty fundamental problems, particularly when you hear the CEO, Don Thompson, talking about their menu mm-hmm. and how complicated it is and how that's affecting their ability to get the kind of throughput that they want. What's going on? Right, that's that's one of many issues McDonald's has right now. So this quarter, they wanted to focus on improving three areas. They wanted to talk, they were talking about staff improvements, which you just mentioned, because the menu has gotten so complicated. The lines had to drive through were too long. People were leaving them because the staff couldn't react quickly enough with the orders. Um, breakfast, they've uh, they've seen a lot more competition, shocking amount of competition from Yum Brands, from Taco Bell, and the success of their new breakfast, uh, which is never good news for McDonald's uh, because breakfast is such a big part of their bottom line. And of course, they wanted to improve their mascots. I'm shocked by these results <laughs> given the the Ronald McDonald makeover and the new Happy for the Happy Meals. Have you seen Happy? No. It's just it's what is it, this? it's the red box, the the red Happy Meal, the classic red Happy Meal yeah. box. Um, but it's got a big wide grinning face on it, big eyes, a big mouth with these weird looking teeth. If you ever see a picture of it, uh, I highly recommend you you keep your kids away from it. This thing is terrifying. It looks <laughs> it is the worst Happy Meal mascot, the worst thing you could show your kids. It's no wonder that comps are so flat. No one's going to bring their kids in when this demon is going to suck out their soul. Uh, this thing <laughs> it's it's terrifying. So so yeah, uh, McDonald's had a lot of issues that it needed to fix, and it didn't fix any of them. Well, and Simon, to go back to Chipotle and pricing power, McDonald's for so long has offered itself as the value option in this space. I know that by virtue of how big the restaurant is, that they probably have pricing power with their suppliers. But I can't imagine that they have pricing power with customers. Yeah, that's right, Chris. And one of the things that they were talking about is kind of the appeal to the value-conscious customers. You know, in addition to the soul-sucking demon that Mark was talking about, <laughs> uh, they also have you know, there's, there's a there's a lineup of products you just get used to at McDonald's. My favorite is the hot and spicy McChicken sandwich, always on the value menu. Okay. But they're trying to upsell customers to a a more expanded offering. They now have the bacon buffalo ranch McChicken sandwich, for example. Ooh. <laughs> One example of how they're kind of confusing customers, they're sticking with the, the value products they're used to. It's going to be kind of hard to get them to upsell the higher-priced items. Mm. So, if you want to look for the silver lining, you could look at this stock, which is flat for the last year. It's paying a steady dividend. You could look at it and say, well, wait a minute. If they're able to fix at least just some of the things, you know, I always think of Seth Jason, uh, our colleague over at Hidden Gems, who, you know, for years makes the point that you know sometimes you can do well as an investor if you find, uh, as he puts it, if you find a crappy business, and they figure out a way to be just a little bit less crappy, <laughs> and uh, you know, you look at McDonald's, Don Thompson, uh, an experienced guy, and you say, well, wait a minute, if if they are able to streamline the menu a little bit, turn some of these things around, then it's then it's not that bad. But still, I don't know. It's hard, unless you're looking for the portion of your portfolio where you've got sort of the large blue chip dividend. I'm not really expecting any growth. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't see why you would buy this stock. Well, sure, you could you could fix some issues. I think the bigger issue is that in a lot of ways, McDonald's has lost relevance with the with the consumers. I, people aren't drinking as much soda as they used to. Well, I don't want to skip ahead to our talk about Coke, but they aren't. They're they're thinking healthier. They're buying healthier. They're buying premium food over at Chipotle, over at Whole Foods. So sure, there is a value argument to be made for McDonald's. There always will be. But I think. People are less concerned about value than ever before, and more concerned about health than ever before. And people don't see McDonald's as relevant to their needs. Well, and that's something that you just touched on. Something that I think um, is hard to quantify, but is something you need to very seriously consider if you're an investor. And that is sort of this generational shift. When I was a kid a million years ago, going to McDonald's was a treat. My children have no interest in McDonald's whatsoever. That is that is not. That is not anything they crave, and you know, if you talk to my teenager, she'll just be like, "No, that's just that's <laughs> not healthy, and I, I I don't want that." What do they like? Uh, they like uh, Nando's Peri Peri, the chicken wow. place. Yeah, see, healthy, healthy Panera too. Um, mm-hmm. They like Panera, and uh, obviously, that's Panera is a company. When they report earnings, we can dig into that. But they they're also dealing with their own throughput issues, which they're trying to tackle. But uh, let's move on to Coca Cola. Second quarter profit. Came in at 2.6 billion dollars. That's that's a lot of zeros, and yet that's down three percent from a year ago. Uh, and stop me if you've heard this before, guys. Uh, global unit case volume uh, rose slightly, which of course offset declining sales in North America. And this, Mark, you touched on it. This trend, this year in and year. In, I mean, we're now in decade number two. Right. Of declining soda sales in North America, right, and I don't see that turning around anytime soon. So you you break down they are still a Coke's still beverage versus sparkling beverage. Sparkling beverage volume was up two percent. Still, still beverage volume was up five percent across the board. Packaged H two O. So what is that? That's 7%. Dasani water. That's, that's water. The that's juice, Gatorade the tea. or not Gatorade? That's Powerade. That's yeah, exactly. Anything that's not carbonated. Um, they're seeing bigger gains there than they are with the carbonated stuff. That's not going to change anytime soon. Like we said earlier, people are eating and drinking and thinking healthier than ever before. And you look at uh, Coke, you look at a Diet Coke and all the things that go into that. People aren't interested in that anymore. Of course, they've got Coke Life coming out now. Which what is that? It's their. It's their. Oh, have you not heard about this? No, that's why new- I asked. What's that? <laughs> oh, it's their newest product. It's only available in South America right now. It's coming to the UK this year. It is Coke, but instead of all the uh, the the additives, the the sugars and everything, it has stevia in it. So it's a little healthier, fewer calories. What is stevia? Stevia is a is a sugar replacement, I suppose. Uh, it's a little more natural, a little less processed, and a little healthier for you. And to 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 show the consumers that the can of Coke Life, instead of the classic red and white, it's green and white. Is this the game changer Coke needs? Wow. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I it's people are going to keep on drinking water. They're going to keep on drinking Powerade. They're going to keep. Drinking less and less of Coca-Cola. That's just how it is. I'm I'm gobsmacked by the <laughs> idea gobsmacked. that someone within the Coca-Cola Corporation pitched and got the green light for what is essentially healthy Coke. Yep. Like if you're boiling it down to the elevator pitch, it's some guy or gal going into a room saying, "Picture this: healthy Coke and a green can." Which that's just so that's healthy. just odd. Yeah. <laughs> is there any Silver lining here for Coke because I because part of me thinks that you know what the the tea the water the juice that stuff is growing obviously at a nicer clip than 
Coke and Diet Coke and, and the sodas are. And so if we can have sort of a two-tiered strategy at Coca-Cola where we're pushing that and we're just looking to cut costs and streamline maybe what we're doing on the marketing side to make the soda, the traditional soda side, a little bit more profitable. Yeah. I don't know. Because, I mean, to your point, people people who want a Coke, that's what they want. They don't want a healthy Coke. Right. They just want a Coke. You In the same way that someone just wants a burger and fries, I'm not looking for a salad. I actually want a burger and fries. And Chris, I'll jump in. You know, the traditional sales might have gone a little flat, but they did have some products that had some pep to them, as Mark pointed out. Uh, the other thing is they're kind of hedging their bets too of the the rise in, in soda making machines at home. If you remember, Coke took a 16% stake in Green Mountain Coffee Ro- Roasters recently for this at home uh, you know brewing of, of of beverages. You know, and maybe that's something that they're they're getting in front of a trend that might be happening. Maybe from a health angle, like you said, Mark. Maybe just a change in preferences. So. Coca-Cola is not sitting idly on the sidelines. Hmm. And that'll be interesting to see how that one plays out because that that did get a lot of attention, and you had sort of the 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 Green Mountain Coffee, the Keurig machine. You had SodaStream uh, with its. They have a deal with Pepsi, right? That's rumored. Oh, I ru- okay. I don't think it's for sure just yet. Okay, but it will be interesting to see at what point that because that potentially is a game changer. A healthy Coke. Healthy, in a, in a, healthy Coke in a green can. I'm I'm sorry. I'm betting against that one. Harsh. Uh, we will wrap up with Netflix, which now has more than 50 million subscribers. Uh, re- quarterly revenue up 25%. The stock down a little bit today. Mm-hmm. I mean, this seemed like, and we've seen this before with companies where they're a little bit of a victim of their own success. You look at the last year, shares of Netflix up 70%. Mm-hmm. So... It almost seemed like coming into this quarter, guys, Netflix had to have perfect results, and having what appears to be very good results result in a slight sell-off. I think the market's kind of wrong on this one. I was actually impressed with the quarter. There were three things that stood out to me, Chris. Tell me if this sounds like a rerun. But the first one was they really had great uh, number of new subscribers. They beat their internal estimates both for domestic and international subscribers, and now have over a million international subscribers to Netflix. The second is that international piece. They're continuing to plow money into that. As you said, they've got 50 million members now over 40 countries. They're entering six new countries uh, coming up, including France and Germany, so large markets that I think could, could uh, appeal to this Netflix model. But then also, you know, the combination of those two is they're spending internationally, but once these markets mature, they're just, they're just cash flow machines for Netflix. We can see that in contribution mar- margins, which is basically you know, the revenue that they pull in, taking out the content costs and the marketing costs, too. Uh, they're plowing money in internationally. They're actually losing money internationally on contribution margin, but 27% domestically in the United States here. And you can see what the future of Netflix is going to look like if they do successfully crack these new markets. Yeah, I like to read Hastings' comment on the conference call where he was talking about France and joking that they're, they're going to remake uh, House of Cards and call it House of Versailles. <laughs> um, I'd watch it. Why not? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what about that, Mark? I mean, to, to Simon's point, it does seem like if if you're taking, I don't know, I just, I, I, I'm trying to get in the head of someone who has owned Netflix for some amount of time and is seeing these results and saying, eh, I'm going to push the sell button. And and you know what? And it may be for perfectly valid reasons. You know, it, you know there are there are wonderful reasons to sell a stock. Mm-hmm. And so it could just be, hey, look, I've made seventy percent in the last year, or I've you know I've made even more than that because I've held it longer. I don't know though. Part of me thinks that some of the people pushing the sell button today are are just 
too short-term in their thinking. They're giving up future gains. I agree. Um, sure, they might have a good reason. You'd have to have a very good reason for Netflix, for selling Netflix right now. Uh, to Simon's point, global expansion seems to be the name of the game for Netflix right now, which is smart because you look at the things that are going on in the United States. You look at Verizon and Comcast, these big streaming companies that are becoming bigger and bigger, more powerful. Uh, Netflix has already had to make deals with Verizon and Comcast to ensure that it, that streaming customers will get fast internet speeds. We don't. We actually don't know how much Netflix is paying for that. But you look across the media landscape. You look at Comcast and Time Warner joining forces. It, it's getting tougher and tougher for Netflix to compete in the U.S. It makes a lot of sense for it to turn its gaze overseas, where it's not. Where it's it's opening in six new European nations, as Simon said. It's already got forty nations right now. Um, the the downside of that is, of course, they're going to spend more money on that. Uh, I think that it was fifteen million dollars was spent on international expansion this year or this quarter. Excuse me. Next quarter, they said it's going to be about forty-two million dollars. A big increase. It's a worthwhile investment, though. I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of room internationally for Netflix, and less and less room for it in the United States. When I think about the rest of twenty fourteen. I'm hard-pressed to come up with a more interesting business battle to watch than that of the Comcast-Time Warner merger and everything that is riding on that mm-hmm. and everything that is circling around that. Mm-hmm. And uh, good luck to the federal regulators on that one, because there's just going to be so much pressure from both sides, from oh, yeah. Comcast and Time Warner. Um, and, you know, Hastings, uh, another thing he said on the call was just, you know, reiterating his opposition to this merger. So uh, it's pretty interesting to see. Uh, I, I am one of the new subscribers to Netflix. Um, blows my mind. It blows my mind that I have not been a subscriber to How? this point. Uh, you know, technology. I'm old, and and technology scares me. But uh, fortunately, I have a teenager in my house, and mm. she just you know hooked it up and 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 took care of everything, which is great. Which is great because now I have Netflix in my house. Here's the downside: um, my daughters are the ones who have been primarily using it over the last couple of weeks. So when I log on to Netflix now, when it now the recommendations I'm getting, my teenager loves Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, my other daughter loves Cake Boss, the reality show, you know, about uh, the the guy in New Jersey who's got the bake sh- uh, the bakery. So I'm getting a lot of shows recommended to me based on Grey's Anatomy and Cake Boss. Mm-hmm. I need help. I desperately need help. So I need I need some recommendations. What do you got for me, Chris? You don't have to lie to the people. You love you some Cake Boss, <laughs> I, and that's okay. You, you know what? Of the two of them, I I can I Go can I can hunker down with Cake Boss. Oh, yeah. uh, don't don't make me watch two minutes of Grey's Anatomy. Just don't. <laughs> that's harsh, but fair. Uh, yeah. So Netflix actually uh, it. it Adds content every now and then. I just looked this up on Vulture.com, the authorities over at Vulture.com. Uh, they let me know that Netflix just added Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> hey, Game changer. The classic. Boom. Drop the mic. That's all you need. The classic Rick Moranis, mm-hmm. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not helping me. Simon, what do you got? Chris, I got some wholesome family entertainment for you. Uh, two shows, TV shows, if okay. you'd like to watch on Netflix. I would highly recommend uh, House of Cards and Breaking Bad. 
maybe put the teenagers to, to sleep, you know, and, and watch the shows. They're, they're well worth the effort. I have not yet dipped into the Breaking Bad water, what so I think doing? I think that's I think that's where I'm going next. All right, Mark Reed, Simon Erickson, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As Cheers. always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fool Week. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 